everybody. Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jesse. Tim, how's it going, sir? Going pretty good. Uh, busy with work, but otherwise, uh, pretty happy to be able to come in and talk about, I would say games, but somehow Ottawa managed to only play one this week. It is weird, right? It is it is weird when we only got the singular game, but because of the singular game, I'm very happy to say we got ourselves a guest co-host for today's episode, Tim. Our guest today, he is the host of the Islanders Anxiety Podcast and a writer for Lighthouse Hockey. Please welcome to the show, Dan Saracini. Dan, how's it going? Hey, guys. Another show. Thank you very much. How are you guys doing tonight? Pretty good. Pretty Great. good. You know, I'm not going to lie. I'm trying so hard not to look at the Sens Panthers score right now. <laughs> it's one of those things where anytime we record, I'm like, don't look at the score. Don't look at the score yep. until the end of the episode. Yeah. Then you can look at it and then we just react. This <laughs> is why we never record on games when the Islanders play because uh, we would never, we'd never make it. We would never make it through a whole You just watch but... the stream instead. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but hopefully that's good news whenever you, you peek over there. <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Now, Dan, I'm very excited to have you on the podcast today, not only because you get to be our co-host for this episode, which is the Islanders and Suns game, and we got lots of stuff to talk about, but before we do anything, we got to talk about today's cover athlete for today's episode, Season 7, Episode 7, in chronological order, Episode 157. Now, this episode generally is an Ottawa Senators saying episode, so Tommy Winkles is going to be the Sens guy, but for you, Dan... Blake Como, former New York Islander, is our our cover athlete for today's episode. Mm. So I got to ask, as an Islanders fan, what's your thoughts on Blake Como? So Blake Como is a guy I watched a lot uh, coming up when he was with the Islanders. Uh, he came up during a time in which the Islanders stunk. Frankly, they stunk. This was he was there before the Tavares year, and then a couple of years after that. And uh, he always seemed like he's the kind of guy who. You know, when you watch a bad team, you sometimes think to yourself, you know what, if this team was good, this guy would be really, really valuable. But here, he's just very much in over his head, like a lot of those players, you know. And so you you always think, man, if he was playing, you know, this was the the early, you know, 2000s. So it's like, man, if he played on, on Pittsburgh, which ironically he would later on, he'd be like, people would be talking about how great he was, how valuable he is as a depth player, how important he is, you know, to, for the the Penguins to find that scoring depth that they need, blah, 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 all that stuff. Meanwhile, on the Islanders, he's a guy who scores seven goals. And you're just like, oh, man, I can't even with this guy. You know, we need we need some better players in here. This guy can't possibly be our second line uh, winger or whatever. He actually played a very important role, though, in a very infamous uh, Islanders game. So he scored 24 goals in 2010-2011 would be placed on waivers the next year, which still blows my mind. It's so funny. He went from 24 goals, a career best, to being on waivers. But he got concussed in a game in Pittsburgh by, I guess, Max Talbot, I think was the guy. And uh, this was the game in which Rick T. Pietro went to fight Brent Johnson. Rick got his face rearranged by one punch by Johnson. It did not go well for Rick. And the Penguins blew the Islanders out. And uh, the lasting shot of that game was Marc-Andre Fleury, who was on the bench, laughing at the Islanders' misfortune. And from that moment on, you know, not that we needed any extra help to hate the Penguins, but the players definitely hated the Penguins, too. And so in February, February 11th, 2011, to be exact, um, there was a game on Long Island. 
And the Islanders won that game nine to two or nine to three. And that is a game we call fight night on the Island. It, it was like 600 something minutes and penalties. The Islanders just absolutely obliterated the Penguins on the score sheet in the penalty boxes. They were just beating the hell out of them. Matt, Matt, Mo, um, Matt Martin just uh, sucker punched Talbot at one point. Trevor Gillies fought a bunch of people. Michael Haley was called up. He scored a goal. He fought everybody. So a lot of people took took that game as being like, that was the game that uh, made Mario Lemieux say he might think about getting out of the NHL's garage league. He can't take this anymore. Meanwhile, for us, it was like, well, maybe not, maybe don't concuss one of our players and laugh about it. And maybe you wouldn't have this kind of problem. So Blake Como played an intricate, an integral role in that whole thing. And like I said, he was on waivers the next year and began the tour. And uh, he's one of those guys who pops up every once in a while. And you're like, wow, he's still playing. So, um, you know, he, he was definitely an interesting player and, uh, you know, he, he's definitely a, um, I don't know if a fan favorite is right, but if he came back to an Islanders alumni game, he would get a, a nice round of applause. I think people would be like, oh, yeah, good for him. We always kind of followed his career after that. So, uh, you know, I don't know if he had the a bit of a star cross career for sure. But, uh, you know, it was it was good that he played as long as he did, because <laughs> that one night in Pittsburgh, it looked like he was going to be out for a very long time. So. That's my Blake Como start. <laughs> it's kind of funny just looking at this. Uh, former Senators ATO Josh Bailey got ejected from that yep. game halfway through. <laughs> Almost everybody did. The, the benches had like six people on them. Oh, you got to go back and watch. If you've never seen this game, I highly recommend watching it. In fact, there was one blog, uh, Red Wings blog, run by some friends of mine. It was called Ukola Wing in a Motown. And, and, you know, after the initial kind of furor had died down about that game, uh, one of the guys who, again, is a friend of mine, JJ, he went back and watched it and he wrote up a whole column about it and was like, you know, at first I was ready to lambast the Islanders and, and sort of, you know, uh, condemn them for what they did in that game. But after watching the way the Penguins acted prior to that game and all of the stuff that the context of that game, I kind of get where they're coming from. <laughs> and I kind of wish that, you know, my team had that too. And they just, you know, that that Islanders team stunk. Again, they weren't going anywhere, but they just weren't about to take this kind of abuse anymore. And they just stood up for themselves. And, you know, to us, it's it's a legendary game, a folklore type game to the Penguins. I'm sure they'd rather forget it. And of course, they went on to win two cups after that. So, you, you know, it's like, you know, who who really lost in this case? But uh, that is a that was a um, a fun game. And uh, again, Blake Como had a, a hand in it, although he didn't actually play in that game because he was still hurt, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> well, Blake Como is definitely one of those guys that I think he put it best is that you tend to forget he's still playing mm-hmm. until his name gets brought because, wow, he's still playing. That's like a total dark corner right. of my brain sort of right. player that gets brought up. And as much as we can sit here talking about Blake Como, we got to announce next week's cover athlete for next week's episode, season seven, episode eight, in chronological order, episode 158. It's the Max LeJoie episode. So that's going to be good because we got a really good story involving him and Brady to track for next week's episode. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that LeJoie is still somehow in the NHL. <laughs> Don't know how, but mm. that's not the point. Yeah. <laughs> so Dan... We're very excited to have you on, not only because you are the very first New York Islanders blogger and podcaster we've ever had on the show, but also doing these sort of episodes and segments, it gives it a great opportunity to get a chance to know the people who get to work with, but also learn about how they became a fan of the team or the blogger podcast that they work for. So Mm -hmm. for yourself, this may seem like a redundant question, given (laughs) that you do live in New Jersey now. How and when did you become a fan of the New York Islanders? 
so I do live in New Jersey now, uh, but I am from Long Island and I uh, lived there for the first 26 years of my life. I didn't move to New Jersey till uh, my wife and I were married for three years. But uh, the um, it's really two things. One, I'm from Long Island. And two, I'm old. I'm going to turn 48 in January. And so uh, I was alive for when they won their four cups and had their dynasty. A little too young to remember that. But I started going to games in the mid 80s. Uh, when a lot of those guys were still playing. You know, I remember seeing Mike Bossy play, Bob Nystrom. I think Billy Smith might have been on the bench for a couple of those games with Kelly Rudy starting. But uh, back then, the Islanders weren't just sort of like a team. Like They were very much a part of the fabric of the community. Like They just were part of everyday life. Like You weren't just the one Islanders fan at school or the one Islanders fan at your office or on your block or whatever. Everybody felt, it felt like everybody was a fan. Like, you know, everybody seemed to know who got called up, when they were slumping, when they were hot, who the rookies were that year, that kind of thing. They just were part of of everyday life. And Nassau Coliseum was very much part of everyday life, too. Like, that was where you went. not only went to hockey games, but the circus and Disney on ice and wrestling. Oh, my God, I saw a million WWF uh, things there with my dad, too. And, you know, concerts and you name it. Like, everything happened at Nassau Coliseum. So it was all part of, of the way... You know, you just lived life back then. And also a lot of those dynasty guys lived on the island, either all year round or, you know, even during the season. So it wasn't unusual to like go get gas and, oh, there's Bob Nystrom or, you know, you're at a park and there's Clark Gillies or we uh, there was a gym near my house that was owned by Wayne Merrick, Islander Center Wayne Merrick. And it was called Wayne Merrick's. And we always (laughs) drove past Wayne Merrick's on the way to mcdonald's or the comic book store or whatever and even after it became a gold's gym we still called it wayne merrick's i can still picture it to this day it was wayne merrick's so like they just everything was all there all the time what happened unfortunately was not a surprise the islanders got very bad (laughs) after that dynasty they got pretty bad it was a couple of good seasons here and there but by the time i was in high school they were pretty bad and the off the ice situation for them was very unstable as senators fans i'm sure you can relate to this yeah you know you don't know if the team is going to be there tomorrow because they can't get a new arena or they don't have an ownership that spends any money or any of this kind of stuff and so people went it went from being that they went from being a part of the community to people finding other stuff to do like they just found other ways to spend their time or their money or whatever and and the islanders just kind of fell by the wayside and if you were growing up at that time and my my podcast co-host Michael Leboff, he's quite a bit younger than me. He was born in 1990. So he grew up during this time when the Islanders were very bad. But a lot of kids that are his age or people that are his age now grew up. And if they were predisposed to liking hockey, a lot of them would start watching the Rangers. Like it was an hour train right away. The team was, even if they weren't that good, at least you knew they were going to still be there. They were always on TV. They was, you know, they signed Wayne Gretzky, even if he wasn't, you know, the same old Wayne Gretzky. So they signed Theo Fleury. They signed all these these famous people, which is the Rangers, uh, you know, historical. Uh, that, that's a tendency of theirs to sign these old guys after they're past their prime. Well, and so Kane, you're looking right? at, yeah. <laughs> and so you see guys now like Adam Fox and Charlie McAvoy that are from Long Island and are in their, you know, mid to late 20s. And grew up as Rangers fans, because why would they root for the Islanders? Because, you know, 20, 25 years ago, the Islanders weren't very good. And so it didn't make any sense to bother to spend time rooting for them. Although a couple of guys, Sonny Milano, Keith Kincaid, they did grow up as Rangers, as Islanders fans. But uh, but yeah, that's basically it. It just I remember a time when they were just it wasn't a, now like ever since I've become like a working person, I'm always the one Islanders guy in my office. I, there's two right now in my office. Shout out to my buddy, Paul, but we're, the, we're it, you know, normally it's just one of us. There's like, I'm the Islanders guy that people know, 
but it wasn't always like that. It used to be just everybody, everybody knew everybody. They were just part of life in, on the Island in the eighties. And those days, unfortunately are, are gone now, but uh, it was a good time. It was a fun time. It's just like, you know, walk into a mall and be like, Oh, I think that was Dennis Potman, you know, <laughs> something weird <laughs> like that. Uh, it was kind of a cool thing, but yeah, it's a long story, but uh, it's, it's true. You know, again, I wish those days were back here, but uh, they, they don't, they don't exist anymore, unfortunately. Well, growing up on Long Island, I know you talked about when the Islanders were good, given that they have not been good for the last 25, 30 years and how good teams like the Rangers are and even the New Jersey Devils. Like how much yeah. would you say are more Rangers and Devils fans in Long Island now? There's definitely it's definitely half Islanders, half Rangers, I would say. A lot of people don't care. Like so if you let's say you assume that half people don't care about hockey at all, which is funny because a lot of them are Yankees. Mets, Jets, Giants, Knicks, whatever fans, a lot of times hockey don't doesn't really kind of, you know, make the back page or really people really don't care. But then, you know, if you have the other half that are hockey fans, I would say half are Islanders fans and half are Rangers fans. Again, it wasn't on, even back then, it wasn't unusual to have Islanders and Rangers fans in the same block and, and that sort of thing. Uh, it's funny, again, now I live in New Jersey and um, there are more Rangers fans here, I think, than than Devils fans. Even there's more Islanders fans. I run into them all the time. If they see me wearing Islanders stuff, which is kind of funny, I feel bad a little bit for the Devils. They don't really seem to have. And then in the further south you go, it becomes Flyers territory. So the Devils have this sort of one interesting pocket of fans <laughs> somewhere in this state. Uh, my in-laws are, are big Devils fans. Um, so um, it's it's definitely a mix here. But it's funny because, you know, if you're if you're a Sens fan in Ontario, I assume it's very similar with Leafs fans, like you're a Sens fan, maybe your in-laws, maybe your family are Leafs fans. And, you know, for us, it was like, it wasn't unusual to have, you know, you and your brother be Islanders fans and like your mom be a Rangers fan or your, you know, you and your dad be Islanders fans and your mom and your sister be Rangers fans, that kind of thing. And that's what makes those rivalries, that rivalry so fiery all these years. It's just like the people that you hate the most, the fans you hate the most are literally sitting across from you <laughs> at, the, <laughs> at the Thanksgiving table or at Christmas or, you know, it's weird. I have a best friend who's a huge Rangers fan. And like, you know, we, we, we have fun, like kind of ribbing each other, but we know that the other guy really cares. So um, it, it's, 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 it's funny. Cause when people are like, Oh, what's, what's the temperature of the Islanders fan base? It's like, I don't know, man, it's hard to really tell you because they're just scattered all over the place. And there's really no one one group that you can kind of go to and be like this. These people feel this way because there's just so many scattered all over the place. And, you know, half of them, again, on their home turf are rooting for their biggest rival. So it's kind of a weird, a weird dynamic for sure. And I guess it doesn't help that nobody's actually from New York. Yeah, that's kind of true. I mean, a lot of people are from Manhattan, but it's it's funny. Most I would say there's probably more Rangers fans from Long Island. Westchester yeah. and New Jersey and Connecticut <laughs> than there are in the city. Well, my friend and I always joke that uh, you know the Rangers don't get the back page of the, the the New York Post until the second round of the playoffs. That that's it. That's the <laughs> earliest you'll ever see them there. You know, uh, no matter how how good they are, they, it won't won't matter until the springtime. And then and then after that, it's usually you know they're kind of eliminated quickly after that. So uh, whereas the Islanders, you know, they do have Newsday, um, but uh, again, the once the Mets and Yankees start playing, that's it. It's over. They're the only ones who are going to get the back page of anything. So, Well, you're talking about the Islanders. And one thing that I always wanted to ask an Islanders fan about <laughs> is, of course, is the dynasty from 80, mm-hmm. 83, four straight cups, 19 straight playoff series wins. Current day, I find, especially for us being up here in Canada, there seems to be such a lack of appreciation for the early 80s Islanders where you had the Gretzky Oilers and mm-hmm. then you had the 90s Red Wings came along. It doesn't seem like that dynasty gets enough 
love or recognition? Do you feel like as time goes on, as, as teams like New Jersey's won three cups and all these teams in the area have won cups, that dynasty doesn't get the recognition it deserves? Not only do I feel that way, and I appreciate you also noticing that as well, but I'll tell you who else feels that way. The actual players on the Islanders dynasty. Uh, I actually just finished reading or rereading uh, Mike Bossy's autobiography that he wrote in 1987. He talks about how they never really got that credit. You know, even after they won that first cup, it was like, yeah, well, they didn't have to beat Montreal or yeah, but the Rangers look really good this year. Or yeah, look at these guys from Edmonton, these kids that they're coming up and scoring, you know, 200 goals in a season or something like that. It was always somebody else. And it was never, the focus was never on the Islanders. And even after they won and won and won, uh, Clark Gillies has said stuff like that as well. And, um, you know, D- D- Billy Smith, definitely. And a couple of them took it very, very personally. Bossy made it his mission to win the Conn Smythe Trophy uh, the third time around uh, in 82 against the Canucks uh, because he hadn't won the year before. He thought he was, he he had kind of been uh, passed over for the Smythe the year Butch Goring won it. So he made it his personal mission to get it. And of course the Canucks were the unfortunate uh, victims of that. Uh, <laughs> and he, he, you know, made it his personal mission to destroy them. And uh, he ended up tying a record, I think a Jean Beliveau record for baking, uh, you know, for goals in a, in a Stanley cup final series. And then the next year, Billy Smith, was so angry at the, his treatment in his home country of Canada during that series or even before the series against the Oilers that he, again, made it his personal mission to not let these guys win anything. And he just did whatever he could. He slashed Gretzky, slashed Glenn Anderson. He, he hacked and whacked and tried to kill anybody who was in his way. And they swept him. And, you know, even after that, there was some begrudging, acknowledgement of wow these guys really did something and and you know then they made it to the fifth straight final before they finally ran out of gas so i i think there's definitely i mean you see it a little bit more now than than you used to but in terms of dynasties the oilers certainly get more you know more ink than the islanders do and then you do get the canadians teams in the 70s and then somebody somebody else will always pop up oh what about the islanders they were really good yes they were and the way they were built from the, I mean, there were guys on that expansion team that were still on all four cup teams, Smith, uh, Nystrom, Lauren Henning was an assistant coach on three of them, I think. So, um, you know, it, it, the way they were built, the way they did, they went about their business was really something special. And the fact that they, they did it here on Long Island is a little mind blowing. You know, it's one thing to do it in, in Montreal even in Edmonton, but like, man, to, to, for, for a team on Long Island to do all this, that's a little crazy. I mean, that, that team almost shouldn't have even, the only reason they existed was because they wanted to keep the WHA out of Nassau Coliseum when it was new. And so the, this team that was built out of spite all of a sudden went on to win 19 straight playoff series, four straight cups. So it, it's a, they have a really interesting history. I definitely don't think it gets brought up enough. It's why I have a podcast called Islanders Award Winners that goes through all these different players who've won major NHL awards. Cause I just don't feel like they really get that much credit. So I do appreciate you noticing that though. And be like, Hey, what about the Islanders? <laughs> I don't know if enough people do that. Well, even watching or rewatching the 30 for 30 that Kevin Connolly did on John Spano. And he mentioned that he yeah. said the 19 playoff, 19 straight playoff series. And he brought up the fifties Canadians at one five straight, but he says, that's you only had to win two rounds to win this. They had to win yeah. four in that context. They would have won nine straight. Yeah. Yeah, basically. And and some of those series, you know, were tough. They almost lost to Pittsburgh one year. They almost lost to the Rangers one year. 
it wasn't until later on that they did finally face Montreal and, and beat them. But, uh, and obviously they beat the Oilers in that, that 83 final, which was no easy feat. So, yeah, I mean, those guys, it's funny. Cause like, if you ever get a chance to go to UBS arena and you look at the retired numbers, they're all dynasty guys. It's, you know, Gillies, it's Potvan, Bossy, Smith, but Nystrom, but also uh, Butch Goring and, and John Tonelli. And at first you're like, wow, that's a lot of guys from, you know, one kind of small stretch of games. But then you look and you're like, these guys are all really important. <laughs> and most of them are in the Hall of Fame, too. So uh, Goring is really kind of a, a borderline case. I'm surprised he hasn't made it there yet. But, uh, you know, it's uh, it again, it's if you know, it's great. And again, for younger Islanders fans, I, I think that, you know, it's, it's great now that we have some actual good players that people can hold on to and be like, these are my favorite guys, as opposed to the us that, you know, had to go through these really lean years and look back on Mike Bossy and, and Brian Trottier and be like, man, I really wish we had some of those guys here because these guys just, they're not even close. You know, at least these guys, at least the current guys can win games. Whereas back in those, those dark times, they could not. And uh, made, made the, uh, the dynasty seem even more special. Cause it's like, well, there must've been really something back then. Yeah. Now you did mention your podcast here. So let's talk a little bit about that. Islanders anxiety podcasts. I got a chance to listen to one of the latest episodes you did. It was actually on Weird Islanders, the one you did on Mike Comrie. And I yeah. feel it's fitting for being a Senators <laughs> fan. I listened to it. I thought it was fantastic. With your podcast, how and when did it come about and how did you meet your co-host? Oh, thank you. So, uh, yeah. So, well, thanks for listening. Uh, that's our that's a new one we started uh, a couple of years ago. But, uh, yeah, we started with Islanders Anxiety. Another long story. I apologize. Uh, so, I... Started writing for Lighthouse Hockey in 2013. Uh, it's an SB Nation blog. And um, when I first started writing for them, after being a, a commenter and a fan, I asked Dominic Yansky, who is the founder of the site, I was like, have you guys ever thought about doing a podcast? And he was like, yeah, well, you know, we thought about it. We tried, but nobody really knew what they were doing. And so we couldn't really get everybody together and no, didn't really go anywhere. I was like, well, would you mind if I try and put one together? He's like, no, absolutely. Go ahead. But I didn't know what I was doing. And I couldn't get everybody together. So the whole thing fell apart. So fast forward about a year, we had a meetup of all of us writers at an Islanders Flyers game. And that was where I met my co-host, Michael Leboff, who had just joined the site as a writer. And we hit it off. We start talking. He and I both share a tendency to worry about this team far too much to the point where like it it affects our daily lives. <laughs> it's surprising. We get anything done at all and have jobs and wives and kids and stuff because of how much this team affects us. But um, he and I were talking and he says to me at one point during the game, he was like, have you guys ever thought about doing a podcast? And I was like, yes, we have, but I don't know what I'm doing and I couldn't get everybody together and it was a whole big mess. And he was like, well, I'm really interested. So, you know, if you do anything, let me know and and I'm in and I'm like well I'll tell you what if you're interested and I'm interested why don't you and I do something and then if we can get everybody else involved we'll do that you know we'll start with the two of us cuz we don't know what we're doing and we'll we'll figure it out from there so we put some research in and then the next season so that was the that was 2015 that was the last see what we thought was going to be the last season at Nassau Coliseum and so we started with the 15-16 season which was the first year at Barclays Center and uh Again, we used Zoom. We used Skype for a while. My first microphone came from uh, Karaoke Revolution for the Xbox 360 because it was the only the only mic I had laying around. And so I plugged it in, and uh, we just had chemistry right off the bat. Again, we both we both love to laugh. We both love to we both carry around decades of baggage with this team. Just we remember every slight, every loss, every bad trade, every 
every Mike Comrie type who kind of comes in and is great for five minutes and then is gone, you know, in the blink of an eye. And so people really resonated with that. And, and uh, one season led to two led to eight, which is what we're doing now and got a much better microphone now. And uh, you know, we have um, a Patreon now that we just started last year and we've branched out into another uh, couple of podcasts. One is weird Islanders, which you talked about. We bring on a guest to talk about a guy who only played for the Islanders for a couple of years, uh, or in some cases, a couple of games, Mike Comrie, who actually played a hundred games for them, which was a little more than usual. Usually our cutoff is one season or less, but um, our guest that night is a friend of ours who has a, a giants podcast and he picked him up. And if you listen to it, you'll know that we spent more time talking about his fiance at the time, Hillary Duff, than about <laughs> Mike Comrie. Uh, you know, he was great for the Islanders for that first year. And then he got hurt, but seeing this very famous Disney channel actress slash singer at this falling apart, empty Nassau Coliseum was never not weird. And she was, she was very cool. She was a cool fan. She took a lot of pictures. She was, she was a real one. And so we, we give her our undying respect, but it was very weird saying like, don't you have anything better to do? Like, don't you have any place better to be than this right here? But we've done episodes on Wendell Clark with down goes Brown. We, we opened this season. It's our third season with Greg Wyshynski talking about Alexander Simak who had played for the devils and, Greg was like, listen, I got to tell you, I had no idea this guy played for the Islanders. And we're like, no, that's good. That's what we want to talk about. <laughs> we uh, we look into the weirdness. We, we you know, get clips and stuff. And we've done episodes on Brian Rolston. He was our first episode. We've done episodes on Kirk Muller, who we all hate. But a lot of times we do episodes on players that we miss and we thought were really good and, and wanted to see more of. So um, we taught, you know, Mike Comrie was one of those guys. Uh, I mean, I can't even remember all the guys that we've done, but uh, it's been a lot of fun. Everybody always has a great time. We we have a lot of laughs and we learn some stuff, which is great. Oh, we talked about Trevor Linden, Rob Shrimp, uh, Roberto Luongo and Kevin Weeks in the same episode. Oh, Derek Broussard, former former Sens uh, player Derek Broussard. And, you know, some of these guys we, we wanted more from and some of these guys we couldn't wait to get rid of. So uh, it's a great time. And the Islanders are sort of uniquely positioned to do a podcast like that with because they've had so many guys come in and out and a lot of these guys were related to mike milberry you know who yeah. never never managed to keep a guy too long uh and then i just started like i said a couple of years ago this is our i'm doing right now our second season of islanders award winners again every episode is about a guy who won a major nhl award so got a new episode coming out on tuesday uh, about Dennis Potvin's 1979 Norris Trophy. We did 1978 Norris Trophy last week. We've done Billy Smith's Vezina Trophy, Brian Berard's Calder Trophy, Mike Bossy and Pierre Turgeon's Lady Bing Trophies. So uh, it's my chance to kind of do a 30 for 30 style podcast. It's a narrative, um, you know, history type of thing, a little bit different, uh, but I feel like they kind of, you know, are there to to teach people about this Islanders team and, and some of the great players that have come through here. And then on our Patreon, we do... Uh, a mailbag episode. And then we do a thing called country club atmosphere, which is just a non-hockey podcast that we talk about. We talked about long Island landmarks. We talked about the time uh, Mike ended up backstage at the Victoria's secret fashion show. <laughs> we talked about what it's like to get drunk late at night in New York city. So uh, you never know what's going to pop up there, but uh, we just like talking to each other and people really like it. And, and the best thing I always hear is like when people are, are from the Island and they, they don't live on long Island and they say, it's so hard for us to find Islanders fans where we live that you guys kind of bring that conversation to us. And, and it feels like we're talking to, to real true Islanders fans here in the middle of wherever, <laughs> you know, we've talked to people from, from all over. And so uh, that, that makes me feel good that they can, uh, 
they can enjoy and, and have a little piece of home brought to them uh, through through two morons from Long Island talking about, you know, Trevor Linden or whoever it was. So it's a, it's a fun time. We've been doing this show. I mean, we've got people who worked for the senators who said the exact same thing about Hillary Duff. They said like when her and Mike <laughs> played for the Sens, it was she was so lovely. She came yeah. to take pictures. The only thing that I was listening to, and the only thing I'm surprised that didn't get mentioned is when Mike got traded back to Ottawa, not only was Hillary Duff a famous wag, hmm. so was Carrie Underwood. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I hadn't we hadn't thought about that, but yeah, well, only only one. One famous wife, actress, girlfriend at the time <laughs> we can handle, <laughs> and uh, and that was uh, yeah, Hillary Duff was our our favorite one. So uh, yeah, Mike Fisher surprisingly never played for the Islanders, but uh, you know we'll get there at some point. But uh, you know the Islanders have had a few uh, a few famous ones. The other one also connected to a great Ottawa Senator, Alexa Yashin, and his uh, wife Carol Alt, who was originally from Long Island, uh, was here as well, and uh, and Christy Brinkley also occasionally shows up at. Uh, at Islanders games, although she's never been married to an Islander as far as I know, but, uh, but she shows up and it's great. It was great seeing her there. Like, again, don't you have someplace better to be? You're Christy Brinkley. You don't need to hang here with these guys. You can go do anything. And why, why would you do this? But, uh, or but no, at the very cool. least, why not the Rangers? Yeah, that's true too. Well, listen, they, they have their own, their own group. I'm still mad that they, the Islanders don't have. So when the Islanders played in Brooklyn, I was like, okay, I actually kind of enjoyed it when they played in Barclays center. Cause I work in New York city and I'm able to, I was able to get to the games very easily <laughs> from where I work. So uh, it made things easier, but uh, it didn't, didn't really work out there for a number of reasons, but I was like, okay, maybe we can get some celebrities who live in Brooklyn to come to some of these games. I know that Patrick Stewart is a big hockey fan. I think he's a Habs fan. Maybe we can get him here. As far as I know, he never showed up there. Paul Bettany lives in Brooklyn with his wife, Jennifer Connelly. Maybe we can get them. If we can get an Avenger at an Islanders game, that would be great. Again, he goes to a lot of Rangers games. We did get Leonardo DiCaprio, though, who came as a guest of Kevin Connolly, and he had a picture of him and with the hat pulled down, trying to pretend like he wasn't there. But we saw you, Leo. We know you were there. So uh, that he probably he he covers everybody, but I still would have liked to have seen at least one Avenger at <laughs> an Islanders game at some point. Maybe some maybe maybe one day we'll get that, but uh, it hasn't happened yet, as far as I know. Now we did talk about Kevin Connolly here a second ago, and I mentioned the thirty for thirty doc on John Spano. I've always wanted to know, like, what was your thoughts on it? I loved it. I thought it was great. I actually saw the premiere at the uh, Tribeca Film Festival when it first came out. Uh, I, I had to go. I had to go. The, Kevin Connolly was there. A bunch of Islanders there. I remember Brian Burrard was there. Maybe Marius Tchaikovsky was there too. I'm not sure, uh, but uh, I think it was really great. I think it's one of the better thirty for thirties. I'm absolutely, totally, one hundred percent biased in saying that, but. Uh, I thought it was really well done. And, you know, getting getting Spano on camera to talk about that stuff was, I thought, really interesting. And, you know, the, the fact that he was able to talk to Kevin Connolly like that, you know, was he forthcoming? Not really. Was, you know, was Connolly's questioning maybe a little bit kind of on the softball side? Yeah, possibly. But, I mean, you find out some of the, the really weird stuff that happened, like uh, some strange liaisons between Milbury and... Uh, Spano in the Garden City Hotel, which is kind of an important uh, location in Islanders history. Uh, you have the uh, the writers talking about some of the weird stuff. And I mean, that's it's just such an insane story. I, I lived that period. I remember reading Newsday every day when revelations were coming up. I have a book in my house by Stan Fischler called Cracked Ice that has all these weird sort of NHL off, off ice stories and, and scandals. And that's a whole chapter. And Every time I've read it, there have been books about it. There's a book called um, Fish Sticks 
by uh, uh, two writers named Peter Body and Alan Hahn, who I guess I think are both in the documentary that details the whole thing. And it'll never not, it'll never make sense to me that people didn't do more research into like who this guy was. He basically was a golfing buddy of Mario Lemieux. And mm-hmm. that was enough that they let almost let him buy the stars, the Panthers. And then eventually they let him buy the Islanders. And so it was a little bit, crazy and and everybody that met him was like man he was such a weird dude like why was he he would do these things he would like ask for people for tickets and it's like uh, john you're the owner of the islanders you call the team and ask them to go to their game you don't pay for anything but he just didn't really you know he just didn't know he didn't act like a rich guy and that's because he wasn't a rich guy it turns out all of his his homes his, his you know private planes everything was leased and and he owed money into everybody and uh after getting out of jail I don't know when, you know, that movie was made a long time ago, so it probably doesn't tell, but he ended up back in jail for fraud again. So it's kind of a tragic figure. Uh, there are still Islanders fans that are like, you know, Spano, Spano could have, could have done good for us. Like, you know, and it's like, no, he couldn't have, he was, he was a con man. Um, the, the other funny thing about the Spano thing real quick is that um, he, the guys who bought that. So after he was found out, got <laughs> indicted, whatever, the ownership went back to John Pickett, who would own the team during the dynasty years. But by that point, was an absentee owner. He lived in Florida. He wouldn't spend any money. Guys like Mick Vakoda and Darius Kasparitis were like, I didn't even know we had an owner. Like, we would get a Christmas card from him every year. I never met him, didn't know who he was. So after Pickett eventually found, after Spano, Pickett eventually found another owner in these three guys, Steve Gluck's turn and these two guys, the Milstein brothers, Howard and uh, was Eddie. And um, those guys basically tried to strong arm Nassau Coliseum, Nassau County, into giving them a brand new Coliseum and then they were going to just basically flip the team and the arena to some other sucker for a tidy profit. And they kind of fall under the radar because Spano was such a high profile criminal case. And eventually Charles Wong took over and everybody, you know, kind of thought he was a little bit out of touch with reality. Although Charles did some good things too, that these guys sort of fall between the cracks and nobody realizes what criminal scumbags they were too. <laughs> and so uh, that I always found kind of funny, like Spano was so bad that these guys somehow get off scot-free despite trying to basically house flip an entire NHL team and get laughed at by the County. Who's like, we're not giving you anything. We're not going to buy you. We're not going to buy you a new arena. Get lost. They called them pigs at the trough. Uh, the County exec at the time. And he, he wasn't wrong. <laughs> they were pigs at the trough. And uh, when they realized they weren't going to get anywhere, they ended up selling it to to Charles Wong. So, uh, yeah, but I, I like that. I thought that movie was pretty good as far as uh, as uh, 30 for 30s go. I, I think it's, it's still very watchable to this day. Yeah. No, I've always wanted to ask an Islanders fan of this. What's your honest thoughts on the Fisherman jersey? <laughs> I saw this in the list and I had to I had to gather my thoughts. So um, at the time, I hated it because it was uh, kind of a... Um, you know, it was unnecessary. Basically, the guys who owned the team at the time. So again, John Pickett was a was an absentee owner. He wasn't paying attention to to the daily goings on of the team. But he had sold to these ten percent of the team to these four guys who were local businessmen who were going to run the team day to day, you know, business wise from Long Island. And they decided that they needed to change the logo and the uniforms because they were too tied to the dynasty. They didn't want people watching these terrible teams thinking about Clark Gillies and Brian Trottier and Mike Bossy, right? So they wanted something that was tied to Long Island and was indicative and, and representative of Long Island. So they came up with this idea for this fisherman to, to celebrate the Bay men working out of the, um, you know, the, the marinas in uh, the South shore. And that's all very lovely. And in a way I can kind of get it, but 
The problem is people had more pride in that Islanders logo than they had in the fishing industry, <laughs> however small it might have been on Long Island. And so they miscalculated. And all it took was a leak to the New York Post. And somebody took that fisherman and slapped it on Dennis Potvan's jersey of the on the picture of him holding the cup in the air. And that killed it. That that killed any goodwill that logo may or may not have had. And that first season, they announced that they were going to get rid of it, which as far as I know, is the first time that's ever happened where a team debuts in New Jersey and then is like, no, no, we're getting rid of this. We're getting rid of this. So really the next year they wore a third jersey, which was just the Islanders logo with the wavy you know, shoulder and, and the bottom part um, as much as they could. And then by year three, it was already gone and they had gone with the, the wavy logo primary. So. I kind of, after doing the research years later and and just determine you know kind of getting a feel for why they did it as much as it failed I kind of don't hate it that much anymore and then a funny thing happened people just love it they just these kids coming up now they think it's a cool kitschy thing like the Canucks skate jersey like the Hartford you know it's so funny I remember when the Whalers were in business you could have bought you couldn't find Whaler stuff anywhere because nobody wanted it it was. You know, the team stunk. They played in the middle of nowhere in a mall. Now, Whaler stuff is everywhere. And, like, you know, everybody loves it. Everybody wants Whaler stuff. Everybody wants Quebec Nordique stuff. Like, why? Because they don't exist anymore. So, by long, but, you know, by popular demand, even Lou Lamorello realized the man who hates third jerseys more than anything, or, you know, more than almost anyone, realized there's something here. And they've been selling fisherman stuff in the team store for a number of years, but last year was the first year they they actually made it into a third Jersey. And so I kind of like it now, you know, I don't, I don't, I own a, a bobblehead of Anders Lee and the, the fisherman. I don't mind it as much anymore. It still drives people crazy, but you know what? It's been a long time. That team is dead in the water, you know, and honestly, had they won with that Jersey on, I think, you know, people might've thought a little bit differently, but uh, now it's just sort of a kitschy thing. People love it. Again, you see it out and about all over the place. So I'm cool with it. I own a, I own a, a Palfi jersey in my closet right over here uh i had a i had a dark one with no name on the back for the longest time too and so i'm i'm very cool with it uh you know it didn't it didn't start out that way but after learning the history and and seeing how people react to it i'm very cool with it and uh you know i just i find it funny that it just drives people crazy still to this day but uh you know i think as much as i as as much as i can hold a grudge I think they need to kind of get over the fisherman in Jersey uh, and and kind of live with it. And just, it's a cool thing. They only wear it a couple of times, so it's not really a big deal, but if you don't like it, that's fine. But I think it's pretty cool. Guess one last question here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zdeno Chara started his career on Long Island, infamously traded along with that high first overall pick, which yeah. turned into Jason Spezza for Alexei Ashen. How did it feel to see Zdeno Chara finish his career on Long Island? So, I'm glad you brought this up. I know I've given you many, many long-winded answers here, but I got one more. So a lot of people talk about the Islanders have had many, many bad trades. So many of the worst trades ever are involved the Islanders. And a lot of times this, this trade comes up and I'm here to tell you that that's incorrect. This is the second worst trade in Islanders history. The worst one is still Roberto Luongo to Florida. Uh, it was Luongo and Ole Jokin into Florida for Mark Parrish and Ole Kavasha. Parrish was a good Islander. Kavasha could have his moments. But you trade an everyday starting goalie for 20 years, uh, that's bad. That is a very, very, very bad trade. Uh, when the Islanders made this trade, Zdeno Chara was not Zdeno Chara that we would all come to watch with the Bruins in this later time with, with the Senators. He was just a big, tall dude who took a lot of penalties. 
and was very scary and you wouldn't want to fight. And it's not like we we were hoping to get rid of him as fans. We liked him. We liked having him around. He's, he was a unique guy to have for sure. And you just were kind of waiting for him to kind of find his game. And he eventually found it with the senators, obviously. But uh, at the time too, you know, a, a third overall pick, even then man, it's a crapshoot. Like it could be anything. And getting Yashin was enormous. Like Yashin mm-hmm. was easily that team's best forward since Ziggy Palfi who had played for them, who had been traded away two, three years earlier. So to me, that trade made all the sense in the world and still does. Like you get a prime center for a first, a first round pick, a defensive prospect and, you know, Bill Muckalt. Okay, well, fine. Now, I'll take that trade every day of the week. Now it didn't work out. <laughs> Obviously, you know, Chara turned into a monster who won Norse trophies and Stanley cups. Spencer turned out to be a heck of a player, obviously. And Yashin, he was great that first year. Then he got a, he got a wrist cut in the second year and he was really never the same. He signed that enormous contract, which, you know, again, poisoned the waters a little bit. Had he not signed that contract, I think it would have been a bit of a different story, but uh, I've always liked Chara. I've always felt, you know, I hate, had he not been traded, I don't think he would have maybe developed into the same player that he was um, when he was with the senators. Seeing him play for the Islanders again was very, very, very weird. And the fact that he signed there because people were picking the Islanders to win the Stanley cup that year was even more weird. Like that was the whole thing. He signed him and Zach Parisi signed with the Islanders under the idea that this team had just been to two straight semifinals. They were knocking on the door. They were opening a brand new arena and they were ready to win the cup. And he was coming back to give back to the team that had drafted him. And we were so excited to have him. And unfortunately everything went wrong that season. There was like, they had three COVID outbreaks. They had a 13 game road trip to start the season. Cause the arena wasn't ready. Then when it was ready, the entire lineup was like guys from Bridgeport, <laughs> which didn't really work out that well. But the season was half over and they were dead in the water already. And it just didn't work out. And it's a real shame. He scored his only goal, I guess with a game or two left and the place went completely bananas. The chanting Chara Chara. It was so great. Uh, it didn't work out the way anybody wanted to, but it was cool seeing him there. I mean, Char is easily one of the coolest players in the history of the NHL. I don't, you know, I, I guess if you're a Habs fan or maybe a Senators fan who watched him walk away as a free agent, you might have some ill will towards him. But for us, it was there was never any ill will. Like this guy, you know, the fact that he came back to give back to them was really cool. And the fact that he played with Parisi, he was a guy who the Islanders should have drafted 15 years earlier and didn't again. Thanks Mike Milbury for that made that season great to start with. And then went right into the toilet, right off, right off the bat, unfortunately. But uh, I loved seeing him there. And, uh, and I'm, I, you know, it's funny because uh, he got his real estate license and I wondered, you know, we thought that maybe he would move back to the Island area. And I was like, you make a lot of money selling real estate on Long Island. And I don't know if yeah. it would be weird to see, to have a house shown to me by Zidane Chara, but. If he's doing that, I would I would like to see that. <laughs> well, you know, if he fits in the house, you have no problem. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the ceilings, cathedral ceilings are, uh, you could tell, uh, compared to him, for sure. Yep, there's the selling point right there. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, Dan, I would really enjoyed chatting with the New York Islanders with you on this episode. Now, we're going to move away to talk about the Islanders, and we are going to segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. That was great. That was a great Islanders talk, man. And unfortunately, Dan, as Tim knows and our listeners know, I hate talking about death on top of the hour. And unfortunately, 
for kids of our generation who grew up with the Mighty Docs movies, this one hits particularly hard. English actor Josh Ackland passed away at the age of 95. Ackland, who appeared in multiple films and TV shows, is best remembered for playing Hans in the Disney film The Mighty Ducks. Yeah, this this one hurts. This this yeah. one hurts, especially for somebody who grew up on those movies, because he did play a integral part of those movies, but but even outside of the Mighty Ducks, I mean, he was in Hunt for Red October. He was in Lethal Weapon 2. He's been yeah. in so much work. And you're just like, wow, he's been in how many yeah. movies? I always remember him as the bad guy in Lethal Weapon 2. That's always my, the, the evil South African guy. And uh, and then also in uh, Hunt for Red October, like you mentioned, too. So, yeah, sad, great actor. Definitely a a that guy. Like, oh, yeah, it's that guy, you know, and I, I mean that in the best possible sense. Like you remember him, he, you know, he might be on screen for five minutes, but he he cuts such an imposing presence that uh, that you remember him. And uh, yeah, so he, he will be missed, Joss Ackland. Uh, I wish uh, I didn't realize, uh, you know, he was uh, still around, to be honest. But, uh, you know, it's it's sad to know that he won't be uh, in any more movies, but I'm sure he's probably got some stuff that'll still come out <laughs> because he seemed to never not be working. So uh, we'll we'll see. But yeah, great actor. Check out. So definitely check out Hover in October if you haven't seen it recently because it's a great movie. The maker of Vaughn goalie equipment, Mike Vaughn, announced that former NHL goaltender Andy Moog is currently battling cancer. Moog played 18 seasons with four teams, Edmonton, Boston, Detroit, sorry, Edmonton, Boston, Dallas, Montreal, recording a 373, 209, and 88 record while winning three Stanley Cups with Edmonton and the William Jennings Trophy in 1990. And, you know, a couple of years ago, Dan, Kevin Lowe got inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame and I went so off the rails about my thoughts because Alfredson got snubbed for him. And I says, if anybody from those teams that you could have made an argument to get into the hall, it would have been Andy Moog. Yeah, Andy Moog was a great goalie and had a few battles with the Islanders, obviously, in, in the finals that year. And then he eventually gave way to, to Grant Fuhrer and then got traded to Boston and was great with them too. Went to two finals, if I'm not mistaken, with the Bruins. <laughs> This was also very, very sad to hear because I was a huge fan of his in the early 90s and uh, mainly through, and this is kind of a funny thing too, that the the uh, Sega Genesis NHL games, you know, I always remember him being one of the better goalies in those games and the Bruins being really, really good. And he had that great mask that looked like a bear. And so, uh, yeah, I hope, I hope the best for him. You know, you talk about underrated, you know, we talked about the Islanders being underrated in that dynasty, but man, Andy Moog was definitely a guy who was very underrated. I mean, that, that era, you know, if you weren't Patrick Waugh or maybe Mike Vernon or something, and maybe you didn't get a ton of credit, but uh, he was really, really, really good. And I don't think people <laughs> realize that because uh, he kind of, and then he, he went to Dallas and and kind of helped establish that team very early when they moved there uh, from Minnesota. So he was really, really good. Uh, and, you know, again, I don't think he gets enough credit, but uh, hopefully he can, he can pull out of this and, uh, you know, uh, live uh, to tell these stories himself and maybe make the hall of fame. That would be cool to see. I would like to see that. So. Kind of wild that it was the guy, like the owner of uh, Vaughn Goalie Equipment that announced it. That is it. weird. Yeah. Did, were they known to be close? I think because Andy Moog used Vaughn during oh, his career. God. Maybe that was why. Maybe he was really good friends with um, the guys from Vaughn Goalie Equipment. I'm not too sure, to be honest with you. Now, one story that I did fail to put in top of the air, and I got to give Tim some credit because he reminded me to put this in here. Chicago Blackhawks forward Corey Perry took a leave of absence from the team. This is just such a weird story because nobody's talking about it. It isn't like with our well, next story. But yeah. <laughs> what's going let's, on with Corey Perry? Let's rephrase the way you say that. 
The yeah. Chicago Blackhawks are not talking about this. And everyone is like, why are you so cagey about this? And then you get rumors spreading about like, oh, Corey Perry banged Bedard's mom, just dumb stuff like that. And then all yeah. of a sudden just comes to Corey Perry's like, yeah, I'm taking this for family reasons. Uh, this And like, what was weird is like Chicago was like, it was a team decision, blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden Corey Perry comes up and says, uh, I'm taking time away for family reasons. It's like very strange. <laughs> the strangest thing I've ever yeah. seen. And yeah. like, this is at a time where Chicago's under fire again for covering things up. And then they go and are like tight lipped and weird about something that's almost completely inconsequential. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I don't know. I, I feel like if it was, if he was playing with Tampa or some other team, if he had signed with Arizona. I don't think this would be that big a deal, but like they signed him. They made a big deal about he's going to mentor Connor Bedard and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden he disappears. It's a little bit weird. So we'll yeah. have to see what happens for real. Colorado Avalanche defenseman Sam Girardi has entered the player's assistant program. Girardi stated that this is due to mental health issues and substance abuse. And this is something that we've always talked about on the show over the last couple of years with players taking the initiative to take care of their mental health. Spencer Knight with Florida is a big one that we talked about on the show, but it's great to see that even with how toxic the hockey culture can be at times, that there are players in the NHL that are taking initiatives like this seriously. Yeah. I hope he gets better. Um, He's a a really good player. uh, And uh, you know, it's, it's good that, now here we are talking about wondering why Corey Perry just suddenly disappeared from from the Blackhawks roster for a while. Uh, it's it's I think I think it's good and I think it's important when people when players go through these things and and are open about it because they can help other people who are suffering from similar problems. So hopefully he gets better, takes all the time he needs, and uh, I'm sure the Avalanche will be there uh, when he's ready. And um, yeah, we'll see. I'm sure I'm sure they'll they'll be you know, a wagon again, so come playoff time and, and, you know, hopefully he's there to, to be a part of that. So we'll have to see, but yeah, good, good for him. And hopefully he comes out. Uh, okay. Yeah. But that is a big loss on the back end for Colorado sure. too. Definitely. Such a big name. So we got to give a couple of congratulations. We're going to start off with Anaheim Ducks goaltender, John Gibson, who moved past Guy Hebert for second on the franchise, all time games played list by goaltender with 442. I'm assuming Jaguar is probably number one, right, on that list. So, yeah. Uh, considering John Gibson has been traded to just about every team in the league for the last five years uh, on on social media and whatnot, that's uh, pretty impressive that he's managed to still be there <laughs> all these years. Uh, I, can't, if, I think 400 – what was the number? 442? Yep. I think that's also the number of times uh, – number of articles – uh, written about him getting traded to the Penguins because he's from Pittsburgh. So uh, it's fun that he finally caught up with uh, the uh, the establishment and uh, the the Penguins fans that want him want him there. Although I don't know why, but good for him. Uh, the goat of all time, uh, Ducks goalie will always be JS. Uh, will always be Gee Bear to me. Again, going back to those old uh, <laughs> EA Sports Genesis games. I, I still I sometimes I feel like he's still playing somewhere. But. Right, and it's hard to believe. I mean, there's another <laughs> New York guy too, right there. Yes, he did play for the Rangers for a while, and that sucked. But uh, he wasn't very good, so it's okay. <laughs> Kirk McLean was also a Ranger for a little while. I'm like, really, this guy too? And he was also wasn't very good. So, <laughs> yeah. like, who wasn't a Ranger at this point? Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's pretty wild. Uh, they they do that. They love doing that. Just signing guy. I mean, I remember when Guy Lafleur played for the Rangers, and it was like he had retired. He was in the Hall of Fame. He came back 
you play for the Rangers. That's this is what they do. It's always been what they do. But uh, if any other, if the Islanders did that, they would be trashed. Well, why are they signing this guy? What, what do they need with this? What do they need with Tino Charo? Why is he so old? Oh my God, this is terrible. Meanwhile, you know, the Rangers, they, you know, Blake Wheeler is not a problem. Or uh, yeah. who's John Quick? Oh, this is great. What a great season he's having. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny? For, you know, as much shade as the Islanders get for making bad trades, this is another trade that Toronto needs to be blamed for because they're the ones that gave the picks to get Gibson and Ricard Raquel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. So, you know, the, the Islanders have never been part of the cool kids table. So I'm kind of used to them constantly getting raked over the coals for bit. The the Devon Taves trade, we just talked about the avalanche and like the Devon Taves trade. It almost sometimes feels as if that's the only trade that's ever been made in NHL history. It's like, why are we still talking about this? It was not a good trade. The Islanders had to do it because they needed to clear cap space to sign Matt Barzell and Anthony Beauvillier at the time. And nobody wanted Nick Letty because he had still had two years left on his contract. So Lou Lamorello, unfortunately, had to trade to the Valentaves. That doesn't make it any easier. And it sucks that he's not here because they really could use him. But I kind of get it. But at the same time, every team there's 32 teams, and I'm pretty sure all of them, even Seattle, has probably made some bad trade somewhere down the line. And, uh, you know, I, I think some teams get get raked over the coals more often than others. And, and the senators are one of those teams too. I mean, God, how yeah. many times, you know, <laughs> so uh, oh, I'm sure how many times does Alex Burroughs get brought up uh, on trades every once in, you know, usually so. it's Mark stone. Yo, Mark. Oh yeah. Mark. Yeah. Oh geez. I can't believe I forgot uh, Mark stone. Yeah. So, you know, these things happen. It sucks, but you know, we kind of need to move on. And uh, some teams though, don't have to move on. They just, <laughs> they just, they moved on immediately and nobody ever brings it up again. And I hate that because my team's not one of those. Yeah. Now speaking about your ta- your team, Dan, mm. we go to New York Islanders store to talk about, and this has got to be the most random thousand game career I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. New York Islanders forward Cal Clutterbuck played in his one thousandth career game versus Philadelphia. Yeah. Um. Who yeah. Knew? Yeah. It's crazy. Um. Cause especially since Cal's been hurt a lot in the last couple of years, but um, we just talked a lot about him on our podcast. And uh, so if you want to hear more about Cal Clutterbuck's 1000th game, check out the last episode of Islanders anxiety. But uh, you know, Cal has had a weird career with the Islanders. He came over again in a trade that the Islanders got raked over the coals for trading, you know, need a rider uh, to Minnesota for him. And for a while there, it looked like a pretty bad trade, but Cal is still here. And his line with Casey Zizekas and Matt Martin, very much was a very real weapon for this team, particularly in the playoffs in the last couple of years. And they were a very unique sort of advantage that the Islanders had that a lot of teams didn't and didn't know how to account for. And, you know, when they could get going, they can hurt you in a lot of ways, physically on the score sheet, they could forecheck you to death. And at his best, you know, Cal was, was definitely a part of that. He hasn't been quite there yet. I think he's what 36 now um he's gets hurt a lot i'm surprised matt martin unfortunately was hurt for that thousand game and i'm sure it sucked that he couldn't be there on the left side with with his two buddies that my friend and I, mike and i have a, a word for the islanders we call them the uncles uh because they've been together for so long that everybody is an uncle to each other's kids so like you know matt martin's kids know cal clutterbuck as uncle cal because he's like, you know, my dad's good friend. Their kids know Anders Lee's kid. You know, Anders Lee is Uncle Anders or Uncle Brock, you know. So they're they're so tight and so so friendly and so close, even off the ice, that um it's it's really something special. And and we don't really get that. And you know, could could they have won a cup and you know, maybe could he have scored more and been healthier? 
Yeah, I guess maybe they're a little too beholden to that fourth line. But again, watching those guys cook for a couple of years, there was really something special. And you really felt like, man, my team has this and nobody, everybody else's fourth line is like, you know, a couple of guys from the, the AHL, maybe some old guy who, you know, you forgot was in, maybe a Blake Como you forgot was still in the league. And meanwhile, my fourth line goes out there and will just chew you up. They'll chew you up and, and, you know, either score goal or soften you up for the next line to score goal or, you know, penalty kill you to death, <laughs> forecheck you to death. And uh, it was really cool. So Cal is a guy who we've come around to liking. Uh, he's going to live on the island, I'm sure, forever. And uh, it was cool to see a, the thousandth game. They, they gave the kids silver sticks. All, they, all the uncles came out to take a picture with them. Uh, so it was really cool to see. And we, we've seen a few of these. We saw Andy Green's a couple of years ago. Uh, we saw um, uh, Parisi. I, no, I guess Parisi passed the thousand. Somebody else had a thousand games a while back. So it's kind of cool seeing that, even if the guy hasn't been around you know, that long. He's, you remind me that Matt Martin exists. Yeah, Matty Martz. Matty Martz is the mayor of Long Island. You don't understand. This man, he is married to a lady named Sydney Esiason, who is the daughter of Boomer Esiason, the great quarterback. And uh, Boomer is a huge hockey fan, great guy, but he's a huge Rangers fan. And so he and Matt have this fun relationship where, you know, Boomer will will begrudgingly give Matt credit when the Islanders do something good. <laughs> but he's a Rangers fan too, still, but we, we all like Boomer. But uh, Matt Martin and Sidney Esiason are mainly Long Island royalty. They can they're they're everywhere. They live here all the time. They got a couple of great kids, and and uh, he will definitely have some future here, uh, either in media or you know, sort of uh, municipality. Uh, you know, where, where he could do whatever he wants here because everybody loves Matt Martin here. So. Uh, we we love him too, and and this is the actually it's funny too because Cal and Martin are both UFAs at the end of the year, so this might end up being the last year for this group. Sazika still has a couple more years left, and so you know it's gonna be a little sad. I'm sure fans outside of the island are gonna be like, who cares? These four three guys played on four. For us, this this is these guys are very meaningful, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they. I don't think if the numbers retired, but I wouldn't be surprised if they had some sort of like ceremony to to honor them at some point as as a line, which doesn't happen. I mean, unless you're the, the, the French connection or the triple crown line or one of those that, that who, who does that for a fourth line, the Islanders do because <laughs> we do everything. We do everything weird. Uh, but yeah, no, a big fan of Cal here. And uh, you know, again, watching him, he scored the, uh, what we thought again was going to be the last goal at NASA Coliseum in 2015. And it turns out it was not, uh, but uh, he's, uh, he's had a big part in this, this team's history, which is pretty cool. The Seattle Kraken and Vegas Golden Knights have unveiled their jerseys for the 2024 Winter Classic game at T-Mobile Park on New Year's Day. Now, I want to get your guys' thoughts on this because I love the Kraken jersey. That looks real sharp. They always um, do have nice jerseys. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, they're okay. I mean, I thought the Vegas one was fine. I thought I, thought, I like the Seattle one. It's nice and colorful. Um, yeah. These teams always, they always bust these things out. The Islanders... Third jersey, what we call the Pilgrim jerseys with the the top, the white sort of shoulder yoke came from their first outdoor game 10 years ago. And I went from begrudging, eh, it's okay, to like actively hating them. <laughs> so the uh, the uh, third outdoor special jersey can uh, get a little bit much after 10 years of use. But uh, these guys, are it's pretty cool. It's pretty nice. And, and it's cool that like these two new teams get this outdoor game. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking more. I think I'm looking forward more to that than the Islanders outdoor game this year, which I could, I could take a leave. I don't really care, but uh, yeah, no, I thought both jerseys were cool. Well, up here in the Pacific North Northwest, I know that a lot of people were really upset that Seattle and Vegas were playing on that New Year's day, given that 
well, why doesn't Seattle play Vancouver in Seattle? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Whatever's going to make more money, I guess. Maybe they don't like, maybe they thought it would make more money. I think the league's also really trying to push this expansion team rivalry. Because yeah. you always see uh, Seattle, Vegas as a season opening game. Yeah, that's probably true. Now, speaking of the Vancouver Canucks, we've got to give a quick shout out to Vancouver Canucks defenseman Quinn Hughes, who became the third defenseman to record 30 points in under 20 games. Said list includes Bobby Orr and Al McInnes. They're doing well. <laughs> <laughs> They're doing very well. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's fine. We'll see. We'll see how I guess uh, Cal McCarr has some uh, some competition out there, but good for him. We we hear a lot about Jack Hughes over here, so frankly, I'm a little I'm a little hughed out. I can uh, I can stand to do with a little less Hughes news uh, these days, but good on him. You're thoroughly unenhused then. I am definitely unenhused. We have double Hugheses over here. We got the other <laughs> one too, Shemp. I don't know what his name is, but uh, uh, it's uh, enough Hugheses already. Where I don't know what factory these guys are all coming from, but I'm ready for a new set of brothers to come out. Thank you very much. First of all, I think the correct answer is they come out of Disney World in Orlando. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> now, speaking about Cal McCarr, we also got to give him a quick shout out the game. He became the fastest defenseman to record 200 career assists. This kid, he's he's unbelievable. It, it, he is unbelievable, and that's good on him. But isn't that like an arbitrary number? Like, oh, he's got 200 assists. Okay. That's yeah, cool. And like, <laughs> Yeah, it's cool, I guess. It's just it's an arbitrary. It's like, oh, this team is undefeated since, you know, December 15th. Well, when okay, wearing well, brown socks. Yeah. Right, like, <laughs> okay, good for you. Like, What were they doing before? Well, we don't talk about what they did before December 15th. But since then, they're really good. Okay, great. So, hey, good on him. But that's sort of a, a very strange number to, to settle on. But I guess it's pretty cool. Yeah, but that's one of the things when we do these news stories is that, you know, I read about these young defensemen or these young forwards coming up and they're hitting these sort of milestones. And I'm thinking, you know, you see the commercials of the new gold ages here. And I have to agree with it because it's like, mm. then you got like Makar, you've got the Hughes brothers, you've got the Tachaks, you've got Bedard, you've got all these young kids coming in the league. And that's like, this is the generation. So that's going to replace Ovi and Crosby. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one thing we haven't talked about on this show is how bad the San Jose Sharks are. And <laughs> I hate to say that I keep punched down to San Jose, but they tied the 1928-29 Ottawa Senators for fewest goals in their first nine road games with six. Wow. That's powerful. That's, yeah, man. I mean, I've seen some bad teams, but never. The, even in the the risible 2000. 8-2009 Islanders team that would eventually draft John Tavares first overall. I don't think they went a stretch. That was that was quite that bad and I feel bad for the players. Like what do you what are you supposed to do? I just don't know at that point like where you you know like this is unacceptable. Okay, well what are we, what do you want us to do? We're doing the best we can. So I really hope they end up with a first round pick out of all this. So first overall pick out of all this. That's all I got to say. No, no, that's going to Chicago too. Yeah. I was going to say, unfortunately, you know, there's no guarantee there, but uh, yeah, that would, that would really suck. But uh, if they're going to do this, that's, that's it. That's the only reward you could possibly think of. And even then, you know, the funny thing about getting a first overall pick and, you know, building around a new player and a new rebuild is that most of these dudes that are losing all these games, they ain't going to be around when the team is good with you know that first overall pick so 
doesn't really help them, but uh, you know, hopefully they can, <laughs> hopefully there's better days for them someplace else. Maybe that's not San Jose, but I remember when, you know, it feels like just yesterday when, you know, to me, playoff time almost meant sharks time. Cause it was always like that 10 o'clock game on, on NBC Sportsnet or whatever was always the sharks. And it was always Randy Hahn and that crew. And I came to kind of like those guys. It was, it was a team totally divorced from the Islanders. So I could just put park them, not to worry about any stupid garbage, whatever was going on with the Islanders. I could just watch a team totally, totally alien. Uh, and you know, one that was really good. And uh, I was, I was, feels like the sharks were just there yesterday and now they're, you know, until Evgeny Nabokov decided that this yep. was the game he wasn't playing. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we love Nabby. We we're huge fans of Nabby, who was an Islander, the professor. Uh, we loved him. He was he was a great. He emptied his tank to get the Islanders into the 2013 playoffs, and unfortunately played another year after that. <laughs> it was not pretty. <laughs> uh, but but he's still he's he's one of the smartest guys that we've ever had here, and you could just hear him talk after games for hours. He was great. But yeah, but uh, yeah, no, that was a, that was a fun team, and again, it's it's shocking that they've fallen this far in uh, what seems like a very short amount of time. But uh, again, hopefully, those guys have better days ahead of them. I guess There's... speaking about San Jose and Vancouver, the Canucks did manage to lose to the San Jose <laughs> Sharks on Saturday. Yeah, well, somebody's got to lose to them, I guess. They're not going to go Edmonton too. Yeah, that's true. Oh well, when Edmonton loses to them, it's funny. So. Yeah, <laughs> God, you know. Talking about the Sharks team this year, it's so sad. It's the equivalent of that clip from The Simpsons of stop, stop, he's already dead. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, That's but it's just they're the NHL equivalent of that. Yeah. But but like we're 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 only 20 games into the season. <laughs> like it's stop, stop, he's already dead. Or we're 20, not even a we're just about a quarter of the way into the season. So it's only gonna get worse from here, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I think didn't this team also almost lose three games? consecutively by 10 or more goals they definitely lost twice by 10 goals so yeah it's brutal it's brutal so we're going to close off top of the air by talking about a fine new york rangers defenseman jacob truba was fined five thousand dollars the maximum level under the cba for high sticking boston bruins forward trent frederick uh i definitely feel this punishment was too low and Jacob Truba should have immediately been sentenced to the phantom zone and launched into the deepest reaches of space to never be heard from again. That's what I would have done, but I might be biased. So only a bit. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It seems like, you know, some people think it's fine. Something people think it's too little. I don't know. I didn't watch it. I don't watch Rangers games because I feel like whenever I watch them, they win. So I do my best to not watch the Rangers as often as possible. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know. He's a dirty player. If, if he didn't get fined, if he didn't get suspended for this, he'll get suspended for something else, hopefully, at some point, because he's kind of a menace out there. So not a huge fan. <laughs> but even that hit he threw in the playoffs against Jersey last year, where he completely wiped out. Oh, God, who's the guy from Jersey they got from the Sharks? Oh, Timo oh, Meyer. Timo Meyer just, like, rocked him. And I remember thinking – holy crap how is he getting up yeah yeah but i mean he's always leading with the elbows and uh you guys will appreciate this so when the islanders traded for jg pajot his first game was at at nassau coliseum against the rangers and truba put a hit on somebody i forget who he hit and the first guy that ran up to him and grabbed him and started just throwing hands was the guy who just showed up, J.G. Pajot. <laughs> and from that moment on, we love this guy. So, I mean, I'm not telling you this something you don't already know. He's a great player. But uh, we were just like, 
oh my god what was he doing was he this guy what are you doing uh but uh that shows you you know he's 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 a very fiery dude sometimes and uh it was great he immediately i, I don't know if i've ever seen a player ingratiate himself into islanders fandom that quickly uh, <laughs> a guy who just fought or a, a ranger immediately right at in his first game so that's about sorry it. wait but, you're saying that four goal game against the rangers in the 2017 playoffs didn't already do it that was pretty cool, and we did we did talk about that, Mike and I, when he did come. We're like, yeah, well, that's the number one thing we know is that he can score against the Rangers in the playoffs. So that was, I remember watching that game. That was pretty cool. But fighting a Ranger as an Islander at the Coliseum kind of super on super your awesome. first game on your first game, like he literally just got off the plane, and I think he I think the sequence of events was he got traded for, flew here, signed a six year contract extension, played the Rangers fought Jacob Truba all in about 48 hours. So, I mean, and then, then the next thing we knew he was in, uh, he was in the bubble winning the team ping pong tournament during the, uh, the COVID bubble. So uh, again, it was, uh, he's had, uh, we we're, we're fans of his here as well. And uh, he's not the same. His, I think he broke his hand last year or a year or two ago, and he's never quite been the same. And he ends up in a lot of trade rumors and stuff. And it sucks because he's such a likable player and has been really, he, they wouldn't have made those two semifinals without him. So He's been a valuable player for them. It's just a shame that he's clearly not 100% right now. But I definitely won't forget that fight. <laughs> and I definitely won't forget uh, that ping pong tournament either. Uh, which well, just how cool. clutch he was in Ottawa, too, even yeah. before coming to the island. Some some guys have that gene, you know, where they just step up. Like, they're, you know, they, you don't think of them as, like, you know, these sort of superstar players. And in a lot of ways, they aren't. But, man, when when there's something on the line, they show up. And JG Pajot for his career for the Islanders and senators has been one of those guys. So uh, hopefully he gets better at some point. Cause again, he's, he's it's hard. He's, he doesn't really make his line better the way he used to. He used to be mm-hmm. like you, he was like the eraser or, or the, the reset button. Like you put somebody with JG to get them back on track. Now it's like, you're putting guys on his line to hopefully help him, <laughs> uh, you know, facilitate and and make uh, get maximize his skills. And so, and he he's on a line with Anders Lee and Oliver Wallstrom, which was terrible for a bunch of games, but has actually turned it around. And they're actually starting to to you know hold their own in their own zone and then score a little bit. So hopefully they can continue that. But uh, anyway, that I don't know. I that I just derailed the, the Jacob Trooper discussion, but uh, I don't no, know. No. I'd rather talk about JG Pajot than than any ranger that's for sure hey we're here for it man we're all here for it. <laughs> yeah like he's the only guy who i could think of having more playoff hat tricks than regular season hat tricks <laughs> i didn't even think about that yeah there you go yeah we're special GG. player hey we're pageo fans on the show yeah. <laughs> well guys that wraps up top of the air for this week which can mean only one thing it's time to talk about the lone Suns game of the week between the new york islanders and the ottawa senators But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. (laughs) So, fellas, it's time to talk about the lone sense game of the week. Islanders versus Senators. There's a 5-3 Islanders victory. Islanders goals are scored by Kyle Palmieri, Oliver Wallstrom, Matt Barzell, Anders Lee, and Simon Holmstrom. Sens go to score by Drake Batherson with two and Tim Stutzla. Shots were 31-26 for the Senators. Now, Dan, given that you are our guest co-host for this week, you're a big Islanders fan. Let's get your thoughts first. How do you feel the Islanders played in this one? So of the three games the Islanders played that week, this was, A, the only one not against the Philadelphia Flyers because uh, they did play the Flyers in two home games. And this was the the best of the three of them. Um, my friend and I, again, on our podcast – 
we have sort of categorized the way the Islanders have played recently in their games as playing like assholes. Sometimes they just play like assholes. And I know, you know, as hockey fans, I probably don't need to explain it, but you kind of already get where I'm coming. Like they can't clear the zone. They can't, they get no offensive pressure whatsoever. They're basically drivers, Ed Cones at the blue line. They're just letting other teams tee off on their goalie. Sometimes, you know, just asking the other team to just take the lead and walk away with a win. And they lost a bunch of games. They went on a Western Canada swing. They had four games. They only won one. They lost two in a shootout uh, or one in overtime, one in a shootout. And they blew leads in all of them. And it was like they just started playing like assholes at some point. In this game, they did play like assholes, but it didn't kill them. And uh, they managed to walk out with the win. Get, seeing them take a 4-1 lead was kind of shocking. They scored two goals in six seconds. Barzell and Lee just kind of back-to-back, boom, boom. All of a sudden, they were up 4-1. But then uh, I believe it was Batherson scored his one goal. And then uh, who was the other guy who scored the other goal? Stutzla. I think it was Stutzla first and then Batherson. And I could tell you right now, me and me and my friends were definitely like, here it comes. Here comes asshole time. Like, they're just going to start doing this shit where they just they can't stop anybody from doing anything. Um, but they managed to stop the bleeding there and hung on for the third period. They were severely outshot in that third period. But uh, nothing was too dangerous. And Semi Varlamov was great. Uh, so he kind of stole that one a little bit. But of all the games, they they played that one, I thought, pretty well. And uh, again, they, you know, to see Lee score, he's had a rough, a rough go of it. He's such a, a likable guy and he's the captain and he's known as being the sort of net front guy, but it just hasn't been kind of falling for him this year. And um, it was good to see him get a goal. And it's always good to see Matt Barzell, for whatever reason, always play. I know he's from Vancouver, so I don't know how often, you know, what his feelings on the senators are, but he always plays the senators like they owe him money. Like he has a personal vendetta against these guys, uh, even going back to his rookie year. So I was not surprised to see him score in that game, but I thought they played okay. And, you know, I said this to a friend of mine on, on her uh, flyers podcast too. If the senators and flyers had a little bit more killer instinct and a little bit more kind of gas in the tank and a little bit more, you know, no, we're going to take this game attitude about it. I totally feel like they would have, they would have won the game. Like the Islanders kind of set them up to gave them all the opportunity in the world to take that game, even after they went up five, three, uh, but they didn't. And the Islanders walked out with a win, just, you know, kind of, kind of luck, kind of goaltending, kind of, you know, just doing just barely enough on D to kind of get out of there with two points. Uh, and maybe the senators at some point will be that team that has that killer instinct, but uh, you know, it was the Islanders, the Islanders needed that game and they took it. So it's okay. But uh you know, at some point, I, I do think the Senators at some point will have that kind of killer instinct where they can go, you know, be uh, down 4-3 going into a third and then just say, we're not losing this. And they come out and win it. And the Islanders used to be that team. They're not anymore. <laughs> but uh, that was about it. So I'm curious to hear what, what your thoughts are from, from the Senators' perspective because I watch this stupid team all the time. And so everything that they do that makes me mad – was yeah. heightened in that game. And so I kind of look at it that way and more so against the Flyers the next night too. But I'm curious to see what you guys have to say. Honestly, the Sens looked pretty good for most of the night. Yeah. Probably should have looked better against a team with four defensemen. Oh man, how could I forget? Yeah. They lost Adam Pellick and, and Sebastian Ajo early and had to play with four defensemen. Two guys played over 30 minutes. So I guess everybody played over 30 minutes and uh, did the best they could. Uh, yeah. But uh, it was the, the word gutsy 
was used about 10,000 times the, the, right after that to to describe how the Islanders played. But, you know, you, you give them a bit of a pass on that, I guess, you know, for, for playing the way they did. But uh, they did a good job. But, you know, then with two turnovers and ended up being two goals. And so, you know, again, it was so close that they could have, the Senators could have taken it. But uh, I've seen the Islanders lose that game a lot of times where the other team loses two important players and you think to yourself, oh, you know, I'm I'm sorry those guys got hurt, but we get two points out of this and then they don't. Uh, so, again, that, that's what happens with, with young teams. But, yeah, it was pretty wild. And Adam Pellick is on long-term injured reserve now. Mike Riley was picked up on waivers because uh, he's going to be out for a while. So Sends a legend. Yeah, and a guy who my friend and I were talking on our podcast years ago when he got traded to the, to the Bruins that we thought he would make a perfect Islander and he they should sign him of course they didn't the Bruins signed him didn't work out that great and now he's here finally he's the first ever time we've ever talked about getting a guy and they go out and actually get that guy so we'll see well yeah the 4d played that game valiantly uh did the best they could and uh kept it kept the senators from from stealing it I was totally expecting another overtime loss but uh I was happy to get the two points that's for sure yeah it's even one of those games where I can't even blame Anton Forsberg on this one because there's a few goals that you he watch had it. a 0.8. I know, but here's the thing. You can blame him at point. I'm going to say eight. he did have an off night. He did have an off night. But when a puck takes a bounce, goes over, he doesn't see it. I'm trying to be like, okay, how much of this is really on you? <laughs> uh, mm. He's been rough with like, the exception with of the now? game in Sweden. You hope Corpusalo can take it and run, right? Yeah, because I don't know what's been going on with Anton Forsberg this year. I don't know if it's the two reconstructed knees he has. I'm not sure if it's just that's Rick DiPietro's music. Yeah, <laughs> the two yep. reconstructed knees. Wow, but I mean, he's been good for the Senators before. Like he's not this. This is what his third year there. Like he's yep. been good for them. So you know, I don't know. Sometimes it's just like that. It's just you know, guy just doesn't have it that one year. I guess basically. Hmm. Now, one comment we didn't make, Tim. This game here, our good friend, Alex Marchant, Ottawa Senators team DJ, did his 800th game for this one. Nice. Yeah. I know that he was talking about it on social media, and I made a comment about if, you know, because Claude Giroux got 1,000, I think it was either 1,000 points or 1,000 games with the Sens, and I said to him, when you hit 800, do you get a silver, like, mixing DJ booth? <laughs> The game is another one of those ones that's just kind of frustrating where I felt like the Sens played hard, but just the lack of finish is just evident. Which is weird because the Sens, it's been the opposite problem the years past where the possession was good, but the finishing wasn't there this year. The finishing's been there, but the possession has been, and especially the organization of the team has been questionable. Yeah, that that's what the Islanders thing is too. It's been, the structure hasn't been there. We're so used to the sort of Barry Trotz system where everybody knew where to be all the time. He always talked about being predictable and wanting to be predictable and know where your teammate was going to be at all times. And that just since Lane Lambert took over, that hasn't been there. And so we are surprised that Lane Lambert is still coaching this team. <laughs> uh, I'm a little surprised DJ Smith is still coaching the senators, former Islander, by the way, DJ Smith. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, it's that, you know, it's th- that those kind of loose, loose periods that, that really get you. And, you know, all of a sudden everybody starts running around and, you know, the finish might be there, but if everybody's kind of running around trying to 
stop somebody from getting a shot off and, you know, cause they're out of position or whatever. It, it's definitely not going to be on the front of the mind, but uh, yeah, it was, you know, I, I didn't think the center played that game that poorly. It's just, again, no. another, another couple of shots go here and there and all of a sudden it's a different kind of game. So, um, you know, the Islanders, again, I'm glad they he walked out with the win, especially considering they were down 2D, but uh, you know, it, I would not call that a, a perfect game by any means. Uh, and uh, certainly, uh, not one I necessarily enjoyed watching, <laughs> although the two goals in six seconds was pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, the Sens always to me are always a scary team because like they're so young, they got a lot of guys that can score. The Islanders are not young and don't have a got ton of guys who score the go- score goals that often. And so that's a team that that scares me personally. Like, okay, this is uh, you know the, the, we can't take them lightly, even though their record is what it is. And, um, you know, this year they've got two wins over the Senators. So I guess, you know, the, maybe the message is clear, but uh, I would not expect the third one. I don't know, you know, when their next game is, but at some point the Sens are going to get one of these because <laughs> it just, it just has to happen. The Islanders haven't played all that well uh, to, to kind of hold them off, but uh, we'll have to see. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of getting into where the Sens are. It's frustrating. This is a team that has been good. Like, well, okay. Mm. They haven't been great. They, the game where they've been good, they've been good. But then all of a sudden you get these ridiculous, you get these completely disorganized periods where everything goes to shit for almost, yeah, the entire period. Like uh, the Mm. second period meltdown against Detroit and Sweden is case in Mm. point. And it looks like it could happen. Well, it happened in the Florida game tonight. We'll talk about it next week, but (laughs) (laughs) we're, but it's kind of sad to hear that the Islanders are kind of feeling the same thing. Same exact thing. They, again, they did it four nights in a row out in Western Canada, plus the one game before they left. And, you know, they've won the, the best. The only good thing is that they've managed to kind of keep, keep themselves in the conversation. Like they're only a point or two out of second in the Metro or whatever. So uh, the season is still on the rails, but if I'm being honest, watching them drives me nuts. Like it just drives me absolutely bonkers. Cause I know people hate it. I know people complained about him and wanted him run out of the league on a rail. I love Barry Trotz. I would take a bullet for Barry Trotz. This guy completely reoriented how I watch hockey, how I relate to my team. And I just, I miss those days where they would just, they came out, played their game and you didn't get a sniff of their zone. You couldn't make it through the neutral zone. You couldn't get out of your own zone. (laughs) It was just, you know, people hate that, but I'm fine. I'm absolutely perfectly happy with a two, one win in which that team barely crossed center ice like that to me is gorgeous I mean, we're, we're new yorkers like we like we like teams that play tough defense you know the giants and jets are known have had times when their their defense has been a great i remember rooting for the knicks in the 90s when they were basically a street gang on the court like you would just if you were in the paint you were going to get a charles oakley elbow in the mouth you know like i love that kind of stuff and the islanders played that way for a couple of years and were very successful and uh they have not in a long time that that's what drives me a little bit crazy that's why i'm kind of glad to I can talk to you guys and and tell Senators fans that, you know, when you read like, oh, you know, the the Islanders always play such a structured defensive game. They do not. I'm here to tell you they absolutely do not. Those (laughs) days are over. I wish they played a structured defensive game. I love that. But uh, they don't anymore. So, uh, you know, hopefully they can straighten it out. And hopefully, you know, the Senators can get their stuff, you know, straightened out too. Um, But, uh, you know, until then, we're, we're both kind of floating in a very odd sea of Eastern conference hockey here and kind of waiting for, uh, for people to kind of take the ball and run with it, which they haven't yeah. yet. Well, if it's any consolation for either of us, Minnesota just fired their coach. Yeah. This <laughs> afternoon. Yeah. So uh, maybe just maybe we'll get something. 
Yeah, you, you guys didn't want John Hines either. I didn't want him either. Mm. That he was rumored for the Islanders. I'm like, no, nah, no, thanks. That's that's fine. If it's between Hines and Lambert, I'd probably just rather keep Lambert. <laughs> no thanks. But uh, yeah, the the Minnesota Wild are continuing their you know historic trajectory of being the absolutely most mid team on earth, uh, who accomplishes absolutely nothing. And uh, John Hines is perfect for that. So yeah. there you go. Congratulations. <laughs> and it's kind of crazy to think that Evans had had a 0.6 win percentage. Yeah. I mean, I, Look, I, I, that's I unheard of. Yeah. I mean, I always thought he was a pretty good coach for bringing what he could out of, a t- again, a roster that's not particularly good. Uh, you mean a uh, roster that has been kneecapped by $15 million? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 100 Hey, listen, that, that kneecapping allowed Zach Parisi to finally play for the Islanders <laughs> after all these years. And I, we love him. My, my, again, my friend, Mike and I who did the, I did the podcast. We absolutely love Zach Parisi. I'm so, and it felt so good to see. And he played great for the Islanders. His dad played here. He thought he was going to get drafted for the Islanders. His mom thought he was going to get drafted by the Islanders. He wasn't. And uh, it took all that time, but he finally got here. So thank you to the Minnesota Wild for buying out Zach Parisi, letting him sign with the Islanders, and then hamstringing your team till kingdom come. I think that was great work. Great work. And I hope it continues. <laughs> I'm glad that you and I completely agree with that, though. <laughs> that the Wild really are just mid. Yeah, they, they are. They just, they very much are. It's, but it's... They found such creative ways to be mid, which is impressive. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But like, you know, I feel like, I don't know, I've never been to Minnesota. I'm sure the people are lovely. They call themselves the state of hockey. I just, I don't know. I mean, where it doesn't seem like there's a ton of pressure on them to be anything other than mid. Like, I don't know if, you know, there's like calls for them to be, you know, nobody's seemed to have raised much of a ruckus that they haven't won a Stanley Cup in all this time. Like you'd think that they would have, but they just haven't. So I don't know. It's what, I mean, again, my, my team is the seventh most important team in New York. So I get, there's no calls for that, any <laughs> the Islanders to do anything. Like nobody gives a shit about the Islanders here at all, except for me and like a couple of thousand other morons. But uh, you know, it's, the wild are just so, it's just funny to me that they just sort of exist. Like they're just, that's it. That's the baseline. They just exist. It's very, it's a very weird thing. You know, we, we hear so much about, the same teams over and I'm sure you guys are sick of hearing about the Leafs as I am. And, you know, we hear about the Rangers and a couple other teams here and there and the Oilers, God, and then the Canucks and, you know, the Flyers too, and the Penguins, but the wild are just sort of there. Like yeah. they're just, and then they're not the only ones, but they're just sort of there. It's kind of a funny situation. And so like they fire their coach and like, okay, you guys are still just sort of there. I don't know what the most there coach you could find. <laughs> it seems like if you're not the Vikings, Minnesotans just are just kind of, eh, that's probably it. I mean, that's and, that, and every every market is like that. Again, here, you know, when the Jets and when the Mets and Yankees are doing stuff, you know, the, the Yankees could call a guy up from from Triple A and it'll get a back page, whereas the Islanders could, you know, make the conference finals and it probably would. You know, like it's that's just how it is. New York is a baseball town. It's like Yankees, Mets, Giants, Jets, you know, Knicks, Rangers, Islanders <laughs> in that order. You know, Devils and Nets are in there too, you know, but uh, every market is sort of like that. And I, and yeah, you're probably right. It's probably Vikings and then the Twins maybe after that. But, you know, you'd think that there would be more calls for the Wild to be this, that, or the other thing, but they're just not. And they're just happy to roll along with whatever they're doing. <laughs> they exist. Yeah, they exist. Congratulations. You exist. So, Dan, we can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule to join us for today's episode. Now, before we head off to the close, where can our listeners find you on social media and where can they find the Islanders Anxiety Podcast and Lighthouse Hockey? 
Uh, well, Lighthouse Hockey is just lighthousehockey.com. It's one of the uh, SB Nation sites that still exists. Uh, and so you can check it out. It's uh, the, the best place to get the daily Islanders news and discussion. Islanders Anxiety Podcast, you can find anywhere. Uh, Spotify, you know, Apple Podcasts, anywhere. You can also listen to us at Lighthouse Hockey. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Islanders Anxiety. You get bonus content, ad-free episodes, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we also do Weird Islanders, the podcast, and Islanders Award winners. So, you know, listen to that stuff. I know I'm an Islanders fan. You know, probably people out there, out there aren't listening to this aren't Islanders fans. But if you're into a, a hockey history narrative podcast, you know, Islanders Anxiety will, I mean, uh, Islanders Award winners will you know, take you back to the days, uh, of, uh, any, you know, we, I cover just, um, awards from the early seventies all the way up to, you know, present day, our last episode comes out in a couple of weeks and it's a, it's a fairly recent one. And then weird Islanders, again, it's just a place where we talk about guys who only played for the Islanders for a little bit. Some have sense connections, some don't, but, uh, it, uh, we always try and have a lot of fun there. And, um, it's always about having fun. Uh, you know, we, we try and make, make it as have as many laughs as we can and have a good time, even when the team is bad, and especially when the team is bad. So uh, I appreciate this time. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we, we all have, uh, hopefully our seasons get better from where they are now. Sends have a little bit further to go to the Islanders, but uh, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you asking me all these, these questions. I hope I haven't talked everybody's ears off. <laughs> hopefully this, this isn't the longest episode in the history of your show. <laughs> oh no, believe me. It's no. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. But I appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. That's so good. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play, as well as on social media at Third Line Plug. I am also on social media at Great White Gipster, G R A W Y T E Gipster. And Tim is on Twitter at M901 Honey Badger. So Tim, thankfully for next week, we don't we don't have one game. We've got three We've got tonight's game with the Panthers, Friday, we're in Columbus, we're in Blue Jacks, and Saturday, we turn home to play. Until next week, I'm Gibson, and the Spin Tim Jesse. Ghost.